Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, 11 volumes now in paperback, ebook, and Kindle format. And by the way, we're working out the details on the Kindle end of volume 11. There's a little snafu going on at the moment. Somebody asked me about it, Kevin. I'm just commenting. Did the Bigfoot get his foot caught in the Kindle? I don't know what happened, but uh, <laughs> my uh, book lady, Casey Smith, Sugar Studios, uh, was encountering some software issue, and uh, they're in the process of moving as well. Oh. So she's got her hands full, but she'll she'll get through it. And, by the way, 10 of the 11 volumes available in audiobook as well. So, folks, go out there and have at it and buy yourself all the volumes at one time. Immediately. Immediately, if not sooner. (laughs) (laughs) And as you already hear, my brother KJ, my co-host and brother, is waiting in the background. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How about you? Marvelous, marvelous. I told you, man, I'm trying to get out of the rain here, but there's no escape. Same here in North Carolina, man. It's it's raining, the... The river that comes out of the lake by my house, you know, it's a it's a damned lake. A damn lake. Not a damn <laughs> lake. A damned lake. So they have to let the water out of it into the local river when it starts to get flooded. And it is. The river's flooded. And it's roaring out of that lake because it seems like it's been raining for weeks here. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, please, God, we need a week <laughs> of sunshine. This beautiful, bright orb in the sky, please. I just needed to, like, be able to go for a walk between Zoom calls during the day. <laughs> it's like, come you know, on. I go, I go outside in this weather, man, and my feet actually feel like they're kind of cold and damp, and I just stepped outside. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's just like, ah, please. That's well, probably a good time to hunt for a Bigfoot. There you go. And you can see just... their tracks. <laughs> Maybe... Maybe the hairy man's sick of the rain, too, you know? <laughs> it's not like he has a blow dryer, you know? Yeah, well, you just plug could, it in at the local uh, Could wash the stink off him, though. <laughs> and by the way, folks, I did a show on Coast to Coast a few days back. It was actually early Sunday morning my time, uh, late Saturday night California time with Richard Surratt. So uh, tune that in if you get a chance, uh, Coast to Coast AM, W.J. Sheehan or William Sheehan, 
and uh, Richard Sert. We had a good time, and it was a good interview, so I encourage you to uh, to listen to it. Yeah, Very it good. good. Did, I forgot to ask you, Bill, did he have a lot of questions about me? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know... It's uh, it is what it is, you know. We get on there, especially on coast to coast. You know, it's a live radio show. Uh, every time you turn around, you're getting cued into a commercial break. Right. And then you know they have bumper music and a lot of things going on, so you kind of just dive into the fray and uh, talk about what you talk about. And next thing you know, I'm sorry, Bill, we got to take a break. Blah, 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 blah. They don't have you reading commercials on there yet, do they? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you got the stank on, yeah. try yeah. Old Spice deodorant. <laughs> It'll even clean up, clean up the stink around a Sasquatch. <laughs> you know, one of the guys at work was raving about this Sasquatch soap. Yeah. And he said, oh, it's great salt, man, you know. It smells like a Sasquatch. It smells like a stank bomb. <laughs> and you're going to put your suit on over that. Beautiful. <laughs> hey, why don't you sit in the back seat and roll the window down? <laughs> or in the back of my pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean yeah. all the way in the back. All the way. The like way back. Tailgate. Move that Labrador <laughs> over. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, Kev, what do we have in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today? All right. Well, we're going to get the creep on. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> we might even touch on the gateway to hell. Oh, boy. <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> buckle up, big guy. So we're going to talk about a castle that was built in Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic. Okay. Called the Huska Castle. Huska? Uh, H-O-U-S-K-A. Have you heard about this? I don't know if I want to hear no, about you're it. You're going to hear about it. <laughs> so it was built um, deep in a Czech forest, right? In Czechoslovakia. Right. Nothing near it. No source of water near it. No one know, you know, like, it's like, why did they build this castle? It's really like a huge square house, you know, more than a granite castle, but they call it a castle, right? Okay. And it was built in the thir 13th century, so a long time ago. So it's made out of stone, right? Or made out of stone. Okay. In the middle of the forest, no source of water, no wells or anything around it. And it's built on the top of a rocky cliff. Okay. Boy, oh, boy. And no one, you know, it's baffled people for years, apparently, to figure out what the heck, like, why did they build this here? There's nothing of note around it. No water saw, no water saw source, easy for me to say. Yeah. And it's not near any trade routes and really had no strategic value. And there's no records of, like, a... Uh, a countryside there where the uh, lowly peasants lived in no. subservience to whoever lived there? No. Well, it gets better, Bill. All right. So it has these windows on the castle, but all of the windows are fake. What? Yeah. Fake? They, like... They built they, it with fake windows. 
so they look like they got frames and everything, and maybe they painted windows in it, and there's nothing there. Exactly. What the heck? There's no kitchen in the castle. Yeah. So no place to ki- no place to cook or anything. And when it was completed, no one lived there. What the heck? So the question is, why on earth was it constructed? And why go to all that trouble and expense to build a castle in the middle of the forest for no apparent reason? And there's no record of who built it? It had to take some well, time. Well, no, they think, they think that it was built by the orders of Otakar II uh-huh. of Bohemia. So I guess he was the ruler of Bohemia back then in the 13th century. We're talking Bohemia on Long Island? No, not that Bohemia. <laughs> Believe it or not, most of those names on Long Island didn't come from there. <laughs> what a letdown. <laughs> sorry. To, I thought we had a ruler named Otaka. Sorry, sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> so here we go. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> so local legend has it that the castle was built over a large pit that many people in the area believed was a gateway to hell. Oh, man. Yeah. And the pit was so deep that when all the locals, before they built this, they tried to close it up, no amount of stones could fill it in. And it was claimed that strange creatures were regularly seen coming out of the pit. Wow. So they built this structure like a fake uh, encasement. Not fake, an encasement. No, an encasement, but a fake house that was basically just an encasement over the top. Fake house with a chapel in front of it. Yeah, I mean, inside of it, right over the hole. A chapel? Mm Mm-hmm. Do we know what was in the chapel? Um, Michael the Archangel. No kidding. Yeah. What, like a statue or a painting or what? Paintings. Because he was known, right, for slaying demons. Yeah, he's an ass-kicking angel, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Actually, you said it better than me, Bill. Yeah, you want me he's to an ass-kicking angel. You want to get a whoop-ass open up, you call on Michael. That's an AKA, <laughs> ass-kicking yeah. angel. <laughs> but so these creatures, you know, and they talk about them as winged, mo- winged monsters, demons, and even a headless horse. Not a headless horseman, that was in Tarrytown, New York. There's a headless horse. Coming out of this pit. Yeah, get this too. Even claims of weird, like human, humanoid creatures, like a man who had the head of a bullfrog. Well, it, well, it doesn't shock me. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, we don't have any goat horns, but you know, we got everything else. Yeah, I mean, uh, de- demonic entities are grotesque. Yeah. I mean, they are. Uh, you think about the Antichrist. Well, if you could think of everything beautiful that's ever been created, just put a strange twist on it in your mind's imaginarium. Yeah. And uh, if you can imagine it, it's probably not far from the truth of what... This is what uh, gets me about a lot of the modern-day movies. Uh, I think a lot of this crap is really inspired uh, somewhere... <laughs> Uh, outside of the realm of goodness, 
for these people to design these masks and costumes and get-ups, including our, uh, I, I don't know how I could forget about it, Kev, who the goblins with the horns and everything marching around over in Europe at Christmas time? Krampus? Yeah. You're saying Krampus is inspired by evil things? Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty, right. Beating kids with sticks? Yeah, I'm pretty sorry. Right. That Put them in an NLL shopping bag over their shoulder and taking the children away? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's evil. I can't believe this Huska Castle created. Yeah. I guess maybe the thought was, well, let's just make it look at like something. And, of course, if they have this chapel in there with the paintings of Michael the Archangel, uh, you know, just to... Make it something, you know, rather yep. than just a, a cap or a dome like an igloo of mortar and stone or something, you right. know? So it gets better, Bill. Oh, man. We're just what getting else? started. Holy cow. So get this. During construction, yeah, it was said that prisoners who were condemned to death were offered a chance. So they were already in prison and condemned to death. They were already they were offered a chance to be lowered into the hole and come back and say what they saw and if they did that they would receive a pardon. What the heck? Well, it makes sense, right? They got to they want somebody to go down there and show us what's tell us what's going on, but nobody would ever do it in their right mind. So take somebody that's going to be killed, you know, in a month or whatever for the crime they committed and if they Come back up and tell us what happened. What's going on down there? They get pardoned. Oh, my God. Man. So the first to take up the offer, and I should say the first and the last, was a young man. Shortly after being lowered into the hole, he let out an absolutely blood-curdling scream. Oh, man. When he, pulled, when he was pulled back up, he was a nervous wreck. And to everyone's horror, he had aged 30 years in a few minutes. I, man, I don't even know what to think or I say. Know. And he died two days later. So they lowered him in. Yep. Did we know how far? Not that it matters, really. No, they don't know? tell you anything about how far or anything yeah, like that. I yeah, mean, I, mean, I mean, who knows what happened? But the guy came up and was like almost scared to death. As he yeah. died two days later. Oh, man. And uh, they don't think there were any other volunteers after that. Wow. People just said, hey, listen, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Yep. I'm not doing that, you know. Yep. Uh, so they, they finished this castle in 1278 and the chapel inside of it dedicated to uh, Archangel Michael. Mm-hmm. And um, on the chapel's walls, they were painted with religious frescoes depicting Michael fighting a dragon and weighing the, weighing the souls of the dead on, the, on Judgment Day. Um, and what's really weird, apparently, is there's also a painting of a female centaur wielding a bow in her left hand. Mm -hmm. And they say that it's highly unusual for a pagan symbol to found, be found in a Christian chapel, especially a left-handed one, as back then, left-handedness was seen as a mark of the devil. Yeah. Right? This is back in the Middle Ages. Right, right. Yeah. I just, Kev, 
Great. I told you we were going to get the creep on. I'm delivering, buddy. I don't know if I've been bitch slapped like this in months. (laughs) I mean, I'm just like dumbfounded by you bringing this to the table here. It gets better. More? More. Oh, come on. More. Go ahead. There's two more chapters to this story, and one Uh, is weirder than the next. uh, So, centuries passed after that, right? And the castle was occupied by uh, a guy named Aranto. And he was a Swedish guy, and he was believed to be a practitioner of black magic. So this guy somehow, what, made a purchase of this place? Or I just mean, maybe he just moved in. in. This is in the 17th century, so in the 1600s. Right. And he was rumored to have carried out diabolical experiments while trying to discover the secret of eternal life. How did these people get up to this place? Did they describe the... Uh, well, I don't think, you know, they say it's cliffside, but it's the pictures of it, it's not like, you know, you got to rappel up to it or something. Right, you could you know, get to could, it on could, foot, yeah, but it, was get a, there on horseback it wasn't a, a convenient foot. location. No, it's not along the road or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um so they say this guy Aranto, when they figured, when the locals figured out that he was doing this black magic and evil experiments and stuff, uh, two hunters broke into the castle and murdered him while he was working in his lab. Wow. And after that, castle was abandoned and fell into disrepair until 1823, where a guy named Joseph Simonak who was the president of Skoda, I guess a region there, okay. bought the castle. So who owned it? The, the Czech Republic or something? I, well, I guess he bought it from Aranto, but Aranto's dead, so maybe his family owned it, or the or the, the Czech, Czechoslovakia at the time, or Bohemia, whatever it was back then, right. um, owned it. So, you know, they don't, they don't tell you the deed trail here, but... Yeah, and, sure but this guy, a... Simonic, owns, his family owns it to this day. Okay. I'm sure there wasn't a long list of buyers, a bidding war going nah, on. Well, you know, it could have been some of those movie uh, folks you were talking about. Ugh. So I promised you another chapter. Yeah, all right. So in 1938, what happened in Czechoslovakia? Well, we had a little... Uh... A little war going on. Yeah, yeah. So those friendly guys, the Nazis, invade Czechoslovakia, and they take over Hauska Castle by the Wehrmacht. No kidding. Yeah, and they occupy the building until 1945. And the locals, get this, Bill, they... Always reported strange noises and bright lights coming from the castle. And the rumor is that the Nazis, I know this is hard to believe, were conducting sinister experiments inside of the castle. And even trying to open the gateway to hell under the chapel to harness its evil power to defeat the Allies. Mm -hmm. Not hard to believe, right? They were doing some freaky stuff. Well, they were into a lot of black magic. Absolutely. It, I mean, talk about being driven by the pit of hell. 
These guys would do or try anything and everything to gain a foothold without regard for your harm, their harm, future harm. They didn't care, man. They were yeah. just crazed, power-hungry fiends. Yeah, fiends. That's a good description. So uh, the theories of what the Nazis were doing there range from, you know, trying to conduct experiments and create paranormal weapons or somehow using the castle and this gateway to hell to breed super soldiers. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, Kev, they must have known about, uh, you know, Adolf and his gang of creeps must have known history about this place. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, like the rumors about the Nazis were that they were... They tried to find, like, the Holy Grail, right, and the Spear of Destiny, these, these, these religious relics that are rumored to have great power. The right, Nazis, right. you know, the, the, the story goes that they were searching for them. Right, right. Yeah, and anything else, who, who knows the whole of which they were searching for? Oh, who knows, right? Yeah, we don't, we don't know. But, uh, oh, my God, the yeah. Huska Castle. Kev, I've never even heard of the Huska Castle. Oh, you you uh, look it up. I'll put a picture of it. Now this is a this is a there's a cool picture that's kind of retouched, you know, with the lightning striking into it from above. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Shutterstock.com, mm-hmm. um, which is edited. But you get a feel for the place in that picture. I'll put that up on our website, BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com, under episode two, three, four. Wow, man. I'm, I'm telling you, Yeah, man. and the castle's still there today. So it's about 35 miles from Prague, which is one of my favorite cities in all of Europe. And I've been to Prague many times. I didn't know about the Gateway to Hell. I'm not saying that I would have went to visit the Gateway to Hell, even though it was 30 or 40 miles away. But, uh, you know, I may look at it from a distance when I go back to Prague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, wow, Kev. Yeah. This thing must have been well built, though, to stand the test of time. Yeah, well, they uh, built them pretty well back then, right? Yeah, and, and if you were encasing what you believe to be a entryway in and out of hell, uh, you know, and people seeing all of these ghouls and goblins coming in and out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, alive. Yeah. Well, f- folks, I don't think you were expecting any more than I was what KJ just brought to the table, but you want to talk to a, about a creep fest. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, I told you we were going to get the creep uh, on. What did you think? Uh, we were going to talk about black-eyed children? Yeah, well, that's that's a half a creep fest right there. <laughs> now, if they had said that they, that was the origin of the black-eyed children sightings... I mean, it could uh, be. I have could be. It. <laughs> oh, They're good man. at covering up their trails, though, you know. Oh, my God, Kev. Really, just like incredible uh, layer upon layer of uh, uh, people being drawn in by this, you know. Mm-hmm. And nobody's drawn in for the right reasons. You follow that? Oh, yeah. Everybody, it's it's evil layered upon evil layered upon evil. Uh, this is not a place where Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farms is going to open up a, a children's daycare center. 
you know, all of these people are just out of their minds, uh, steeped in evil, and they're attracted to this evil location to generate uh, more evil. Wow. No doubt, man. Oh, my God. Well, is that it, or is there another chapter? That's it. Wow, man. I feel like I need a glass of wine or something. You want to come back later? (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I uh, dug into my own archives. Uh, I realized that not everybody who tunes us in for the first time uh, has gone back through uh, over 200 episodes to hear everything we've been speaking about. Uh, But this particular incident... uh, was so bizarre that I just occasionally I want to bring something back up to the forefront for those who have listened and for those who have not listened. And this account was uh, told to me by Cedric Shaughnessy, uh, who lived in Minnesota at the time. And this is what Cedric had to say about his and his wife's encounter. January 13th, 1992. So we're talking, what, Kev, 30 years ago? 32 years ago now. Sounds good to me. At that time in my life, my wife and I were newlyweds, having been married in the summer of 1990. We had purchased a previously owned home in eastern Minnesota, which is about 15 miles or so away from where both of our parents lived. The house was a small ranch-style home, which had a detached two-car garage and a small, well-constructed barn in the rear yard. The gentleman that we had purchased it from, being a welder, had used this barn as his shop for many years. We had only been living there a short while when I purchased a used top-loading freezer from a local resident. This freezer chest was the size of two large refrigerators lying on their backs, and I think the capacity was 50 cubic feet or thereabouts. The top consisted of a single large lid type of door, which had a very beefy latch assembly on it. I had added a rugged clasp and a master lock to make sure that nothing could or would get into the freezer chest. This chest was to be my venison locker. After our first full year in this home, my locker had been well stocked with a variety of butchered meat from the various hunts I had been on. It was in the winter of 92, January 12th to be exact, that I was in the shower when my wife opened the bathroom door shouting, Honey, I just heard some loud noises coming from the backyard. Now, I'm in the shower, soaking wet with soap all over me, and I said to her, What kind of noises? She said that she heard a loud cracking noise followed by a bang of some kind. I turned the water off and quickly tried to dry off. But just so you understand, you don't run outside wet in January in the state of Minnesota. It took me about 15 minutes to get dry and dressed. 
After turning the lights on in the yard, I went outside with my flashlight and my 20 gauge. In my yard, I had a pair of floodlights on the back of the house and an additional pair mounted over the entrance to the barn, both of which had been turned off when my wife had heard the noises. As I went out the back door, I noticed immediately that the barn door was wide open. I should also mention that we hadn't had any recent snow, and the ground was dry and frozen solid. I slowly moved into a position where I could see inside the open barn, expecting at any moment that a bear or something was going to come launching out at me, but nothing happened. The barn was empty, but on closer inspection, I found that the large latch on the freezer chest had been damaged. There was also a huge dent, which had buckled in the top lid of this freezer. As I looked around, there were no visible tracks of any kind, exiting, and exiting the barn, I could find nothing whatsoever in the yard either. So I went back inside of the house and called the police. The police came by a short while later. I reported that something had broken into my barn and attempted to steal my meat. What else could I say? The policeman and I had both taken note of the fact that there were no claw marks or scratches on the freezer's paint, which would be indicative that a bear had more than likely been the culprit. But it was, of course, winter. The policeman told us to keep an eye on things and to call if anything further had happened. It was the very next night, <clears throat> January 13th, at exactly 10 p.m., that my wife and I were sitting in the living room watching the news, when I heard what sounded like a metallic cracking sound coming from the backyard. My wife and I looked at each other at the same time as if to say, here we go again. I quickly put my boots and coat on. Simultaneously, I flipped the light switch and opened the back door again with my 20-gauge shotgun in hand. I was hoping to catch the culprit in the act, but nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. I had exited the back door and turned on the floodlights in virtually one fast movement that had taken only seconds. Now, standing on the back steps... I was looking directly at the barn door, which was once again opened. As soon as my eyes were fixed on the door, a huge Bigfoot with glowing red eyes leaned out from behind the door looking directly at me. I squeezed the trigger. The beast let out a scream that was unimaginable and I heard my wife scream in the house virtually at the same moment. I knew I had hit him squarely with number six shot right in the upper torso. The beast immediately retreated into the barn. It was followed by a large crash which sounded like a wrecking ball had hit the wall. This was followed by a couple of loud groaning sounds which were now fading into the backwoods of our property. 
Now stepping off the back stairs with my wife now at the door, screaming at me not to go any closer. I told her I have the gun and I'll be all right. As I jumped in front of the open door ready to shoot, the barn was empty. A large section of the back wall had been entirely blown out. I'm speaking about broken boards and splinters, a sight which one would have to see to believe. The barn was constructed of two-by-six walls that were exposed and uninsulated on the interior, and the exterior wall of the barn was finished in three-quarter-inch thick clapboard. This beast had torn through it like a shower curtain. As soon as our eyes had met, I could see that he was leaning over behind the door, exposing only his head, right shoulder, and arm, which was my target when I fired the shot. The door was a full eight feet in height, and his head was just below that when leaning. The odd thing was that the eyes were glowing, as if they were themselves illuminated by some source other than the reflected light from the flood lamps. I say this because the set of lights on the barn were above its head and shining away from the barn, while the pair of lights on my house were facing in an entirely different direction, neither of which would have been responsible for the degree of illumination which I was seeing coming from its eyes. How this creature could have survived a point-blank blast from number six shot is beyond me. That, coupled with being able to blow through the back wall like a bulldozer after having been hit, was beyond belief. He or it was standing only 20 feet away when I nailed him with the gun. The next morning... I called the police after having closely examined the damage to the barn's wall. When the cop arrived, he could not believe my story or what he was looking at. This creature, on its second effort, had actually torn the lock and clasp off the freezer chest and had gained access to the meat. This was the noise that had startled my wife and I in the living room at 10 o'clock. He had smashed his way through uh, four side-by-side, two-by-six studs, spaced 16 inches on center, blowing the siding off the building, which gave the appearance that a bomb had exploded inside. The resulting hole in the back of the barn was about six feet wide and ten feet tall. The officer had made a call on his radio, telling another unit that they had to come over and see this. Apparently, an ambulance crew had also heard the call. For in ten minutes' time, there were four policemen and an ambulance parked at our house. Everyone was completely blown away by my story and the obvious damage that had been done to the freezer and the barn. It was then, as the officers were speaking to me and amongst themselves, that I now was made aware out of their own lips 
that these creatures were both known and reported to be around on a somewhat regular basis regionally. Each of the four officers had something to say in regards to their own experiences of being called to the scene of a reported Bigfoot sighting or encounter. And so, it is in fact true. <coughs> although the public is not although the public is not informed about it, that these beasts are regularly coming in close contact with humanity. That day, it just happened to be our turn. What do you make of that, Kev? I'm glad it wasn't my turn. By the way, I have to apologize for hearing the phone ring during my, fo oh, my father, during my brother's Huska uh, Castle thing. I forgot to put my phone on silence, Kev. Well, it's two demerits. And it just went ding, 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 ding. You only have two demerits <laughs> left, so use them wisely. And what happens? You get sentenced to Huska Castle? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you might that, get that vacation you're looking for. You know, an incredible incident uh, with this creature of just strength and I don't know what else you'd call it. I mean, just bashing through a wooden construct, uh, having been shot, uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. And, you know, a clasp and a master lock affixed to a, a freezer chest and just tearing it off. I mean, it's yeah. just bizarro. And that was in Pennsylvania? No, Minnesota. Minnesota, sorry. Yeah, wintertime. So, yeah. you know, uh, stupid to mention a bear. It's winter. You know, but a bear maybe can come out of hibernation and start wandering around if it's doesn't realize what's going on, you know, I don't know. But once again, trying to pin a bear with Bigfoot activity, you know? Yeah. Crazy stuff, man. Wild man. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kev, what do we have in our listener mail today? I'm just, well, first off, I'm just imagining that hole in the back of the barn where he uh, Bigfoot ran out of, right? Two by six studs, 16 inches on center, with clappered on the outside. Mm. I mean, if you or I just ran into that, we'd just be stupid. You'd probably It'd be hard to knock that, knock through that in my F-150 pickup. Yeah, you know, I mean, you'd, if you ran into that wall, you'd end up injured and on the floor groaning or something. Unbelievable, man. You know, but uh, hey, look, dude. A bull wouldn't care. A bull would go smashing into something. A freaking buffalo. 100%. Yeah. A rhinoceros would bash into a Jeep full of people or a truck. They don't care. Yeah. You wonder if they even get hurt or feel hurt or they don't care. They just go, you know, bam. Mm. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. It, If you're a neophyte, it would surprise you. <laughs> But, you know, when you've seen a buffalo ram into the side of a box truck and tip it up on edge, you realize that there's some pretty powerful beasts out there on planet Earth. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, and uh, Bigfoot is definitely a powerful beast. Woohoo! Yeah. Don't be inviting them over for dinner, folks. I'm not. 
<laughs> he might be good security if you're going to inspect the Huska Castle, though. Oh, you know. Providing he was trained and well-behaved. <laughs> All right, you ready for some listener mail? I'm ready, Kev. All right. Our first email comes from Robert from Canada. Mm-hmm. Oh, Canada. Sorry. Sorry, Robert. Oh, oh, great, great rendition. I like their anthem. It's nice. <laughs> Hi there. I had two sightings of Sasquatch in the early 90s. Hmm. The first sighting was 25 feet away, very close. Weirdly, I'm having a lot of trouble remembering this sighting. But the second sighting was 200 to 250 yards away, but I remember the second sighting like it just happened, yet the sightings were one year apart. Hmm. There has been over six sightings in this same area in the last 30 years, at least ones that people have talked about. Yeah, that's that's always the case, right? The ones that were spoken about. And he says, I'm just wondering... Why my first sighting is so vague in my mind? Luckily, I had people with me as witnesses, too. So have you ever heard of that these beings can put a hex on you when they're close to you and cause you to not remember clearly what's going on? Wow, Kev. Well, you know, there are I mean, it's pretty interesting, right? Yeah, there are incidences where people say... Uh, that they kind of went like brain numb, or as Pink Floyd said, comfortably numb. You right. know, when these things are around, you 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 kind of like lose function. You, I wouldn't call it a hex. Right. Uh, I mean, I they, don't know if hex is the right word, but you know what he uh, means. Like mesmerized. Yeah. You know. Uh, so. Uh, I've experienced that same thing during uh, UFO encounters, yeah. where you just uh, you, there's a sudden disconnect. It's, it's unless you've experienced it for yourself, you think like, "What the freak is going on with this guy?" But I'm telling you, other people who have had similar experiences voice the same thing, so you're not alone. So I think, uh, like what you're saying, uh, in, in in the words of the old MythBusters. Plausible. 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 <laughs> I used to like that, those two oh, guys. Oh, good. It's good. Uh, All right, so- our next email comes in from Jason. And he says, I'm a search and rescue volunteer here in Washington State. There's an area here close to the Olympic Mountains where many of our missions occurred looking for missing people. One area in particular is close to a Bigfoot encounter that a logging company had. I'm redacting any company names. When this group of surveyors for the logging company pushed into this area to map out roads for the logging company to leverage, they came across a yurt-like structure that was woven together with huge cedar and Douglas fir limbs. No axe marks or chainsaw chips or marks. All the limbs were ripped off of trees. The structure was big enough for 10 men to stand in. Not only was there a structure, but there were several deer carcasses ripped apart on the outside of the yurt-like structure. 
This scared the surveyors so much that they ran back to their trucks and called their boss. Their boss and the owner of the logging company came up the mountain and went into the area that the surveyor had been. They both saw what the surveyor had seen. The owner of the large property declared it as a no-go cut area, leaving behind several million dollars of timber. They put up a large gate at the beginning of the rough road and left the area permanently. I've noticed an increase in missing people and stories of encounters around this area. It's very concerning. I've heard screams before in the woods on searches that have left me very scared and confused. These were not the screams of humans or cougars or coyotes. These were screams of something that had huge lungs. <laughs> Kev, do you, are you familiar with that word yurk? Yurt. Yurt is like a, uh, it's a uh, round, uh, like tent-like structure. You've kinda seen them. Kind of like an igloo shape. Yeah, yeah, they're made out of canvas typically, and then they have a little hole in the middle. They have a wooden floor. People, you can buy like a kit for a yurt and basically use it as a permanent cabin. They're waterproof and stuff like that. Wow, okay, so this yeah. is what he was describing. Yeah, round, you know, they're they're circular um, and held up with poles. So he's, he's like, he's saying it reminded him of a yurt, but uh, it was made completely out of woven wood. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, uh, logging industry, uh, you know, advancing into the unknown and coming across some stuff. And who knows why this was a, a no-go for logging. I, well, we I mean, he's saying no-go because of seeing the yurt and uh, the torn-up carcasses. And, you know, these guys are loggers and property owners and stuff like that. It's probably not the first time they saw it. Maybe mm -hmm. they already had a bad experience in an area where they saw other things like this. Mm -hmm. Right. This mm -hmm. is the Olympic Mountains. Remember, in uh, Expedition Bigfoot, that's where they saw those nests and stuff. Yeah, I think it was the first season. Yeah, this this uh, the area is well known uh, for Bigfoot activity. It's a creep zone. Yeah, and you know, listen, man, uh, people can say whatever they want. There's just too many people that are encountering these things, and especially in certain areas. Yeah, to say that there's nothing going on. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. By the way, can we use your phone? I can see you through your ring doorbell camera. I see you're also interested in Bigfoot. We know him. We can introduce you. Yeah, let dead me, or alive. Let me use your phone and we'll call him. <laughs> I'll be gone in. I'll be gone in a couple of minutes, and so will you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how about that? Putting a gate across the road, no go. Yeah. We're not going to log there this time around. You know, All right, Bill. Well, that's it. Good well, stuff. Great podcast. We promised to get the creep on. Yeah. And, and we, we got the creep on. Yeah, you got the creep. Damn, I got the creeps. I'm doing the podcast and I got creeped out. Well, that's good. That's, that's good. <laughs> no one is exempt from the creep.
Now you're putting up this picture of the Huska Castle. Oh, yeah, it's up there. You check it out. Bigfoottarianwoods.com, episode 234. And by the way, folks, if you've seen something, say something. So go to our website, bigfoottarianwoods.com, hit the contact link. And uh, by the way, one of these days, I'm going to have somebody get on our website and just straighten out the books over there, Kev, because... There's like five or six volumes on there, and the links don't even take you uh, to Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, but uh, folks, you know, if you want to get these books, just go to Amazon, uh, type in Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. I've noticed going on there, they're not all linked together, audibles, what you got to kind of hunt around, but you also should type in Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, you know, Volume 1, Volume 6, Volume 8, specifically. And then it'll bring you there, okay? So just a little word of advice. And by the way, if you should be walking around in the woods of Czechoslovakia, Minnesota, or anywhere else for that matter, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.